online community. Welcome to the Lost in the Shuffle podcast brought to you by your online source for tap dance education, itaponline.com. My name is Hillary Marie. I am your host and I am extra excited and hyped up for today's episode because it's an interview day. Now, over the last few episodes, we have been talking about performance opportunities and specifically pre-professional performance opportunities as an alternative to dance competitions. But today, you guys, we're going to talk about professional companies. Today, I am joined by special guest, Caleb Teicher, and we're going to discuss what it is to build a tap company from scratch. So before we get started, let me tell you a little bit more about Caleb. Caleb Teicher first received critical and audience acclaim when at 17, he won a Bessie Award for Outstanding Individual Performance for his work in Michelle Dorrance and Dormisha Sumbry Edwards' Shared Evening. From there, he continued as a member of Dorrance Dance while dancing in the Chase Brock Experience, The Bang Group, West Side Story International Tour, and other dance and theater projects. Since founding Caleb Teicher and Company in 2015, Teicher's artistic reach has expanded to commissions from Works and Process at the Guggenheim, New York City Center, the Joyce Theater, several engagements with symphony orchestras, including the National Symphony Orchestra at the Kennedy Center, and many national and international touring engagements with the company's repertoire. Caleb Teicher and Company, also known as CT and Co, seeks to expand the capacity of America's rich music and dance traditions through innovative choreography, performance, and contextualization. Utilizing tap dance, vernacular jazz, lindy hop, and a mix of other dance styles born and bred in America, the company's work represents a unique style of theatricality, humor, emotional expression, and aesthetic exploration. Caleb's work has been featured by the New York Times, The New Yorker, NPR Music, Vogue, Interview Magazine, Cultured Magazine, Dance Magazine, Dance Spirit, and many other publications. His collaboration with Conrad Tao, More Forever, recently made the Best of Dance 2018 for the New York Times. He's currently an artist in residence at the American Tap Dance Foundation and has been awarded a 2019 New York City Center Choreography Fellowship. Caleb continues to engage with dance communities as an instructor at international tap and jazz dance festivals and also spends his time as a director and choreographer for interdisciplinary work. Caleb, my friend, welcome to the show. It's nice to be here. So ITAP Online Community, I have to tell you that Caleb and I go back quite a bit to our teenage years when we were hanging out at some of the same tap festivals. And if I can, and if Caleb doesn't mind, I'm going to try and dig up an old photo of us and add that to the show notes of this episode so that you can see a teenage Hillary and a teenage Caleb hanging out backstage. <laughs> I'm going to guess probably uh, for Jason Janice's piece at Tap City in whatever year that was, 2008 or something like that. It could be 2008. Yeah. I think that's going to be the one that I'm going to try and dig up. That, that was, was my guess piece. as well. <laughs> 
So for those of you who have never had a chance to see Caleb's work, I will be posting videos in the show notes of this episode as well, which can of course be found by visiting itoponline.com, clicking podcast and scrolling down to today's episode. But Caleb, can you go ahead and explain your style and approach to tap dance as a choreographer and company director? Sure. <laughs> um, I think we are all just a mix of the the people that we learned from and the experiences that we've had. Um, some of the most uh, formative experiences I've had uh, were uh, kind of my tap mentor growing up, who was David Ryder. He is uh, was a single room one one man show, meaning he he was the only teacher at the studio. He taught all of his students private lessons. Um, Byron Tittle and Warren Kraft of Dorrance Dance were also his students. Um, Caitlin Frank, who was in uh, the Newsies musical uh, First National Tours, also a student of his. And he had a very particular style, very much informed by uh, uh, jazz tap dance greats like uh, uh, Chuck Green and Jimmy Slide and uh, the Condos Brothers, but also informed by Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly and Eleanor Powell and things that we kind of consider uh, like kind of the Hollywood, the Hollywood great tap dancers. Um, that was that was my training growing up. It felt it felt very much informed by all of that lineage and all of that history. We used to watch tap footage at the beginning of each lesson um, for about ten minutes, and he would quiz us on their date of birth and what they were known for and their most famous movies and their their kind of general style. Um, but David, at the same time, was also a student of tap dance himself, so he was teaching his students every week. But he was also in class, uh, taking class from Jason Samuel Smith and Michelle Dorrance and Idelli Cassell and uh, Jared Grimes. You know, he he himself was sort of a voracious reader, not just a writer. So I felt uh, training with him as a as a younger person, I kind of got a, a great survey of the whole tap dance world. After I moved to New York, I started dancing first for Michelle Dorrance, which was a uh, a kind of dream gig uh, about half a half year into, into moving to New York. I was 17 and Michelle referred me to Dormisha Sumbri Edwards, who was also looking for dancers for the same show. And within my first year of New York, I kind of got to work with my, you know, two of my idols. Um, and that was, that was very formative as was dancing actually in the same year with Cartier Williams. Um, I worked on his first rhythm refix show and I love dancing with Cartier. Um, and then actually I'd say now, uh, all of, all of that kind of 15 years or so of, of being a, a tap dancer's tap dancer. Um, I also really became inspired by Appalachian clogging and flat footing and different percussive dance forms by kind of dialoguing with other, other percussive dancers, not in the tap dance scene, most notably, uh, Nick Garris and Matthew Olwell, Becky Hill, Emily Olson, um, uh, Ellie Grace and uh, Ira Bernstein and all, all of these all of these names that may or may not mean something to you personally, but uh, who are kind of uh, kind of the equivalent in the uh, in the clogging and flat footing scene. Uh, they're fantastic. Um, and then finally, actually intersecting with the uh, swing dance, Lindy Hop vernacular jazz world has really kind of been my my greatest inspiration recently. You know, they they move and they hear music and they they feel about their dancing the same way we do as tap dancers. They just don't always intend to make sounds. Um, and in the case of Lindy Hop, you get to 
connect with a partner and, and that kind of connection and communication in a, in a dance partnership and these ideas of momentum and flow and musicality and interpretation have really um, kind of just inspired my tap dancing in a way that I, I, I feel like I understand uh, tap dancing on a deeper level from, from spending time in these other forms. Uh, so that's a lot, but <laughs> it's a, it's, it's kind of how I feel most at home as a dancer now. I love it. I too have a super love and passion for all things vernacular jazz like you. And I, I found an equal connection to it in the way that you did where, you know, you sit back and say like, wow, this is so closely linked to tap dance. Just exactly like you said, they just don't have the intention of making the sounds that we make. So it makes a lot of sense. Beautiful. It makes a lot of sense too when you think about, like, think about those uh, really early and lovely Mabel Lee clips. You know, in some of the mm. clips, she's she's dancing with sound, and and sometimes she's she's not. You know, she's just dancing for the for the movement. And there's still a connection to music. You know, the dancing still has musical value. It just doesn't articulate sound the way that we're used to when you have metal tap shoes. Um, or even when you have, you know, a hard soul shoes or anything like that, but the movements and the idea of interacting with the music and contributing to it and playing with it, um, it's, it's all there. It's just, it's just a different kind of, uh, a kind of auditory, uh, product that's involved. Well, I love how you talk about how your voice in the dance has been shaped by your experiences, you know, both with, um, with swing dance, with the Appalachian clogging, with your teachers, with David Ryder, who I have to say, I always loved seeing you guys um, perform his pieces when you guys were, you know, when we were kids, they were always, they were so crispy clean and they were so nice. They just, oh, I loved his work. Um, he was remarkable. And, and his, his students were so good. I remember when I first joined the studio, I was so intimidated because there were all these kids who were like four or five years younger than me who were just better than me. They had better technique. They had better quality. They just, they understood the dance more and it so freaked me out, but it also, it was an inspiring environment to be in. You know, when, when you're around people who are really doing excellent work, you want to do your most excellent work. Um, and, and yeah, I, I remember that I met David Ryder after seeing his company perform in Tap City and basically seeing them dance and saying, how, how do I, get to be part of that group they're 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 just they're crisp they're clean and they and they have such good quality um and that was that was kind of a dream as well i love that you bring up that intimidation as a source of inspiration to push forward right because a lot of times when people see finished products on stage when they see you on stage um you know a lot of people think like this is how you came out you just since you started shuffling this is what it does what it was so it's beautiful that you would share that that intimidation was a source of inspiration to push forward, work hard, and, you know, put your nose to the grind. So one other thing that you mentioned before was being a tap dancer's tap dancer, you know, that that is the life. That's the life we've all been through. And you mentioned a number of people that you have worked with, um, com tap companies that you have been in, other companies you have been in, people you've collaborated with. So how did these company experiences influence the way that you chose to run 
your company. So not necessarily from an artistic point of view, but how you how you do your rehearsals, how you book your gigs, how you create your shows, what type of show you're trying to create. If it's a small show that tours, if it's a large scale production, how have those experiences shaped the way that you have chosen to run your company? Wow, that's a great question. That's a huge question. Um, I think I'd start by saying that most of us, if we uh, think about teaching as an example, most of us, when we think about what kind of teacher we'd like to be or what kind of dancer we'd like to be, we think about the, the teachers or dancers or what have you um, that we admire the most. And and we we model ourselves as much as possible off of the things that we admire and we try to avoid the trappings of things that we don't admire. You know, I'm, I'm thinking when I, when I first started teaching, I thought about the way David Ryder taught. Um, I thought about the way Dormisha taught, um, Dormisha Sam Edwards. Uh, I, I thought about the way, um, that actually my ballet teacher growing up taught. I thought he was so clear. So the same way with running a company, you know, these, these, these ideas of, of precedence and, and role models, uh, you know, uh, work across the board. I'd say my experience dancing for Michelle Dorrance's company, Dorrance Dance, for, I guess, almost six years on and off uh, in between other projects as well. Um, I, that was my greatest example uh, for how to, how to make work and how to assemble people around the making of work and how to, how to bring it to people. Not, not to mention she, you know, uh, Doran's dance was a really, uh, a boundary and, and groundbreaking tap company for, for its time period for the, for, for the 2010s. It, uh, when, when we were going to, to Jacob's pillow, it, it was not a normal, it was not a, a, a common occurrence that there were top companies at Jacob's pillow. Of course there's precedent for it. I think, um, Jason Samuel Smith, anybody can get it, had been there three years prior or something like that, but it still felt fresh and it still felt like we were, uh, contextualizing something for an audience that wasn't used to seeing tap dance. It feels, it feels a little different now in 2019, which is a, is a lovely thing. Um, so I'd say honestly, just trying to, uh, follow the example of people that I admired before. I also learned a lot working uh, for Chase Brock, who is a um, Broadway and kind of contemporary theater dance choreographer. Um, I danced in his company, and it wasn't it wasn't tap dance, but the way that he organized his rehearsals, the way that he put together Dropbox links full of rehearsal videos so we could we could review the way that he charted out his dances, the way that he tried to structure rehearsals so that everyone's time was being used. Uh, correctly, and the way that he kind of meticulously uh, cleaned and cared for his dances uh, was was definitely a, a huge, a huge kind of uh, it, it was a, he was a role model, and I also got to work with him as his associate choreographer on a number of musicals. Um, I was the associate choreographer for an off-Broadway musical called Gigantic. We worked on a, an immersive uh, theater piece called The Golden Lotus. Um, I worked on the original production of Be More Chill um, uh, when it played in New Jersey in 2015. And these experiences kind of sitting next to him as he made the work and helping him uh, kind of make the work was was really also an invaluable lesson. It, it felt it felt like mentorship. Um, and I think I think for anyone out there who's considering doing anything, finds, uh, and, and that's a very broad statement, but anyone who's interested in, in doing something that they don't know how to do yet, it's worth finding someone who knows how to do it and, uh, and 
someone who you admire the way they they handle themselves and they handle their business and just uh, ask ask to buddy up with them, ask to follow them, ask to shadow them, ask to to sit in on their meetings. It's a it's it's kind of the best way to learn. So, what does a typical CTN co rehearsal look like? It depends on the piece, uh, and it depends on if we're making a, a new piece or if we're. There are kind of two broad categories. the the big The first category would be we're making a new piece. Making a new piece is is really specific to whatever we're making. Sometimes the piece is for three dancers. Sometimes the piece is for six dancers. Sometimes the piece is for twelve dancers. That's that's the kind of biggest we're getting these days. Um, but I do a lot of forethought. I do a lot of planning. I do a lot of listening to the music. I do a lot of kind of free writing about what I'm going to make. And then occasionally I'll have made a step prior to walking into the room, but usually I just try to do enough research that I, um, that I'm, I'm ready to go. Um, we usually rehearse for two to three to four hour chunks and we come in and I give everyone time to warm up. Um, particularly in New York city, it's often that you have the space from 12 to two, but I don't expect us to walk in at 12 and start dancing at 1201. I expect us to start at 12.15 or 12.20, gives people time to review too if we did something in the last rehearsal. And then I, uh, uh, the, the rehearsal environment is actually quite relaxed. I'll say, hey, I have this idea for a step or I have this idea for a, for a thing. Um, let's, let's start putting it together. And, and we kind of slowly work through it and people will offer ideas or suggestions. I leave a lot of room for people to improvise within the choreography as it's being set so that they can they can provide their own perspective or interpretation of something. And, and quite frequently I'm, I'm thrilled by it and I, I want it to stay. Um, and if it's something that exists, it's a lot more straightforward. It's about communicating the material, making sure that we feel confident and making sure actually that we can dig deeper so that the, the next performance of the piece is, is even, is even better, is even more embodied is, 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 um, is simply, better than the, than the performance we had last time. So let's talk about bringing in new dancers. How often do you find yourself in need of hiring new dancers? And what is your process for finding that person? Is it a cold audition? Is it a recommendation from a member in your company or a friend? Is it somebody that you've come across before? Tell us more about your process of bringing in new people. Yeah, it's a mix of all of those things. Usually, um, I you know I'd say we usually there's there's a bit of attrition. I'd say every year one to two dancers decide that they would like to do something else, and I'm thrilled for them usually, and and they're sad to leave. But I also I I don't try to keep anyone in the company based on the obligation. Um, if you talk to any of my dancers. Uh, I really try to do my best to say, hey, I recognize that you dance for me, but I'm thrilled that you want to dance for 15 other choreographers as well. Um, speaking candidly, I don't offer enough work to to give anyone uh, a, a kind of year, a year's worth of pay. Um, so I try to be kind about, you know, the people that I work with should also work with everyone else as well. Um, that being said, that was a bit of a tangent. Sorry. Uh, um, I think... It's a mix. Uh, to use a couple of examples, I had seen videos of Naomi Funaki um, on Instagram, and I had seen her in other people's tap classes, but um, I had never, I had never actually danced alongside her. And when we were looking to fill one spot in 2016, uh, was it 2017? Oh, it was 2017. 
um, she showed up to the audition and, and she just won the audition. She was, she was excellent. Um, and she, she so clearly got the job and had the right, had the right feeling for the company. Um, Demi Remick, who, who dances for me and with me, uh, I've known since she was, you know, 12 or 13, we met at the Top Kids Summer Intensive and then we've danced together for, uh, Dorn's Dance. And it, it was just so obvious that we would work well together in my company as well. And, and we do. Um, and then certain people, I just kind of had a hunch. Um, I recently, uh, brought Jackson Clayton, a, a tap dancer from Boston into the fold of the company. And he, he and I had never danced together. He had taken my class at the Boston tap festival and I had admired him at, um, uh, in Ian Berg's work for his company subject matter. But I just, I kind of felt like Jackson had the right feeling for the company and we needed someone to replace someone last minute with about a month's notice. And he came in and was just a, a complete joy. And, uh, and you know, I, I also believe in, in rewarding people for their great work. If, if you've worked for me once and you've done a great job, you're likely to work for me many times over. Um, and it's, uh, it's just good to build that kind of trust. Um, I, the goal is to keep dancers over a long period of time so that they can get more comfortable with you and you with them and, and you, you by osmosis, not by, not by force or not by task, you, you start to find more in common artistically. Um, I, probably the best example of that is Brittany Stefano, who I've been working with kind of since the beginning of CT and Co. Uh, and now we've been dancing together. I mean, we, we dance together as teenagers, but you know, when, I, when I'm on stage with Brittany, it feels so natural. It feels so nice. Um, and I, I know she feels the same way. So when you do hold an audition, what is your audition process like if you do have an audition process that you replicate each time? And what are you looking for? Like, what does a CT and co dancer look like to you? Yeah, we had, we had one audition in 2017 and we had one audition in 2019. Um, both have been for pretty specific uh, for pretty specific needs. The first one that Naomi Finaki won and, uh, Demi was there as well. And she also, she got a job a little later on. Um, uh, in, in both scenarios, uh, we, I knew what piece they would be doing. I know what role in each piece they would be doing. So I taught a sample of, of the work that they'd be doing. Um, and truthfully in the, in the, in the world that we're in right now, you need to be able to learn very quickly. Um, and it's not even about learning quickly, but it's also about feeling comfortable with the material quickly so that you can feel like your perspective and your interpretation is available quickly. Um, I think a lot of time in class, it's about grasping to the steps, but when it comes to learning things quickly for a company, it's about learning to grasp the steps quickly. And then also learning kind of the intention behind it from my perspective, but also from yours. Um, so in 2017, when we ran the audition, we taught, uh, two, two excerpts of choreography. And there was a, there was actually a, a, a short cut in the middle of the audition, I believe. Um, the, the first piece of choreography was slightly easier, but from the same piece that we were performing variations that needed a dancer. Uh, and then the second piece that we taught was just wicked fast and hard. And it was sort of a survival of the, of the, of the, of the most capable, um, and, and Naomi and Demi did, a, did an excellent job there. Um, but I also think they understood the, 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 the intention of the work or the aesthetic of the work. Um, they, they understood that it was to classical music, but it wasn't meant to be classical. 
um, or that it, it wasn't supposed to have any sort of air other than this is, this is how I dance and this is how I feel when the music comes on. Um, in 2019, we were looking for uh, a couple dancers for a couple of different pieces. So I taught two different excerpts from two different pieces. Um, there was no cut in the middle. Uh, and one piece was uh, kind of more technically demanding. Uh, and the other piece was a, a really slow soft shoe. And that was very telling because I, you know, it's, it's, it's great to be able to, to, to be comfortable with very fast material, but particularly for the work that we're doing now, there's a lot of slow dances and, and not every tap dancer, not every dancer is comfortable doing a slow dance. And, uh, it, it was important to me to see that they, they could, they could work in both, in both ways. Um, not, not everything in tap dance can be, uh, eighth note triplets and 16th notes. You know, there's a, there needs to be a lot of space, especially if you're going to sustain an audience's interest, a non-tap dance audience's interest for 60 to 90 minutes. Um, so, so that was very telling. I felt like a lot of people in the 2019 audition did an excellent job with the, with the faster material. And then what was really telling is how well they handled the soft shoe. So when you do bring in a new dancer, do you have like a trial period or something? You know, you mentioned that dancers that do well are rewarded with more opportunities to continue participating in performances with the company, right? But when you bring in a new dancer, is it, you know, do you give them a contract for one show? Let's see how it goes and let's take it from there. Or are you like, all right, let me give them, let me give them a contract for three shows. And cause you know, let's see, let's see how it goes. We got to give it time to marinate. What is, what does that look like for you? Yeah, it's, it's very circumstantial. Um, I, I, I will say that it's it's very infrequent actually that I've worked with someone and said, you know, after after one show or one gig, you know, I just don't think it's the right fit. <laughs> um, uh, I would like to think that my intuition is pretty good about finding people who work for the company, but I also think it is partially on the dancers to know what work works for them. Um, you know, I've 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 talked to uh, Jabu Graybill from Pittsburgh, North Carolina, dances for me quite a bit, and you know, at first I think I had this idea that that Jabu would be great for the company. And I think Jabu honestly wasn't sure. And then after a, a number of gigs, I think it made more sense to him, you know, why, why I thought he would be such a great fit for the company. And now like, you know, Jabu and I do a lot of work together. Um, but yeah, it, I think it depends on what the, what the season holds. You know, we've, we've hired a, we've hired a new dancer, Jared Sprague for the summer. Um, and he's on two different engagements. One, he's actually just understudying and the other he'll be on stage and, and the, the glory of that actually is that he has a chance to learn the piece and be immersed in the piece, but he doesn't have to perform it. He gets to be with us for about four shows over the course of a week. Um, and then the next time uh, he's, he's on about two weeks later, um, he'll get to be on stage. And that's a great example of like a great way to introduce someone. Um, quite frequently, I, I love to bring someone on as a, as a paid, to be clear, paid uh, understudy. Um, and then if it seems like it works for them and, and it works for me, then, uh, then there's an opportunity for them to perform usually in the same season or sometimes, uh, you know, maybe the next season or something like that. Um, there, there are different ways there. And, you know, depending on what the circumstance is, uh, some people, some people get, uh, kind of get the deep dive earlier than others. Um, I mean, I, I hired, uh, Jackson Clayton, for this piece with a month's notice. And it was an hour long premiere of a new piece that 
that was a little bold, but uh, I also felt that Jackson was really the right person for that. Usually I try to fold people into pieces that are already complete so that they're, they're not uh, joining a, a work that I'm not sure about. They're, they're just joining a work that, that needs uh, a new dancer and maybe some, a new perspective. So it sounds like if you really nail the casting from the start, if you trust your intuition as a director, which isn't necessarily just a random intuition, it's your ability to know yourself, know your work, know the expectations that you have for dancers so that you have the ability to clearly cast that folding in a new dancer is not such a rough process. Yeah, I think I think a goal in life for for me and for a lot of other people is just to learn to judge yourself and your life correctly. Um, you know, it's I, I'll use a very pedestrian example. I I know that it takes forty minutes for me to get from my apartment to New York City Center. No more, no less. And there's a great joy in feeling like I've judged correctly that time. And similarly, if I, if I look at a map uh, or if I'm saying, oh, I need to be in Brooklyn by this time, I know there's some, there's some weird kind of joy I get in saying, oh, I, I know exactly when I need to leave, so I'm perfectly on time. Um, and I think that kind of sense of judgment that we cultivate for ourselves is, is really important to say, I, I know myself and I, I, I know my work and I, and I know what's needed. And maybe this seems like a, a, a far, you know, a, it seems like a stretch, but it's, it's not too much of a stretch that, it, that it's not possible. It's still within um, a term I end up using a lot, the margin of success, you know? Um, and I think we feel that uh, in, in tap dance technique, even talking from an embodiment perspective. So say you go for a pullback, you know, Hillary Marie Michael, you know, when you do a pullback that you're going to execute the sounds for a pullback. And maybe it's not the best pullback you've ever done in your life, but it's not, it's, you know, it's, it's within the margin of success so that you know that a pullback is, with, is within your range. Uh, there, there are steps that you go for knowing that you can do them. And there are steps that you go for saying, well, I hope I can, I hope I can get this out. I feel that way about five count wings. I don't know if I can do a five count wing. So when I do it, it feels like a, it feels like a reach. Uh, and then other things that seem like a reach are actually things that I feel quite comfortable with. So I think, yeah, I think a big goal is, is learning to judge, judge the work correctly and, and make uh, kind of theoretical decisions that ultimately play out in real life successfully. I love that you bring up the margin of success and clearly you have had beautiful success to date. And I am a firm believer that success is a combination of things. It is a combination of hard work, undoubtedly, but also luck. The hard work lays the foundation, but we often hear about successful people who worked hard, worked harder than anyone else. They put in the time, they struggled, they struggled some more until one random thing happened, one stroke of luck. And from that moment on, the game was changed. So is there a moment that you can look back to that was a real turning point for you personally or CT and co that really just helped to launch things for you? I think there, I think there are like thousands of moments of, of luck in a, in a given lifetime, to be honest. Um, I, I mean, I can think about some pretty big ones. Uh, the first being 
um, kind of reconnecting with Michelle Dorrance when I moved to New York in 2010 as a 17-year-old. And that's the stroke of luck of of me being in New York when she was assembling her company and her asking me to dance for her. Um, I'd say by chance, uh, meeting Chase Brock through Macy Sullivan was luck. Um, I would say, you know, kind of growing up in the, in the place in the United States where I did, where there seemed to be a plethora of, of quality tap dance instruction seemed to be quite remarkable. I grew up about two hours North of New York city. So um, that's, that's like the homeland of Brenda Buffalino and, uh, and Michelle Ribble and David Ryder and Kendrick Jones was up there for a while, you know, like, uh, and, and it was also easy enough, uh, when you think about tap dancers in New York city now, a lot of them teach in the suburbs. So I was fortunate to have quality tap dance training because of my proximity to the city. And that feels like a stroke of luck. It also feels like a stroke of luck that I took an interest in drums as a, as an elementary schooler. And I, it turns out that one of my friend's parents was a drum teacher. So I started taking drum lessons. Um, and, and that stroke of luck is probably the thing that set me up best to learn tap dance quickly and easily. Um, and I, don't, I mean, it's hard to say, I feel like, I feel like, you know, not, not to be cheesy, but, you know, continuing to live, a healthy, happy life on a regular basis is a, is a stroke of luck every day. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm thankful every day that, that life continues to go along with very little, um, very little hurt or very little pain or suffering. And I'm still here. And, um, you know, I think if you, if you, if you want to look at it, there, there are endless, endless moments of luck. Uh, and, and I think if you do have moments of bad luck or, or things that don't go your way, which I, I do feel I've had, um, as long as you don't focus on them, you, you can see the kind of bounty of, of uh, providence um, that, that, that we have. I feel you, man. I absolutely feel you on that. So, all right, let's, let's shift it. We're going to kind of take a bit of a 180 from the beauty of life. And we're going to move it into another direction and talk about the work that a lot of people don't love talking about. And that is the uh, work yeah. that goes into running a company outside of the studio, the emails, the phone calls, the press kits, the days that you wonder, am I an office administrator or am I a dance company director? <laughs> Can you talk about those? Uh, I had no idea. You know, I, I danced, I danced for other companies. I, I worked as an associate choreographer for a number of people. I tried to keep my eyes and ears open. I don't think I was fully aware of how deep the, the rabbit hole of, of what I learned that I am. I'm a small business owner now. Doesn't, it, it's not what I set out to do when someone said, Caleb, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I want to be a tap dancer and a small business owner, but you know, they're one in the same. Um, and in terms of uh, the verb to adults, adulting, um, that's 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 where it really comes into play. Um, I'd say for every for every single engagement that my company has, for every one show or three shows that we do in whatever city, there are probably you know three hundred emails that go back and forth, and there are, you know two dozen phone calls, and there's uh, the advancing of technical information, and there's uh, the arranging of travel, and the and the setting up of rehearsals, and getting the dancers availability and budgeting for the project. And, you know, it's, uh, 
it's an endless, it's an endless, uh, endless amount of work seemingly. Uh, but I will say that it's, I enjoy it for whatever reason, because I feel like, um, this is my chance to put together something that can be a positive experience for other people. I can, you know, it's, it's not often that we get to create the world that we want to live in, but, you know, with my small decisions about rehearsal space and travel and what gigs we do and what pieces we perform, I get to sort of create a world that I want to live in and that I get to invite other people to live in with me. Um, so yeah, it's a ton of work. I, um, I'm very grateful that I paid attention in statistics and I, um, and that I'm decent with computers and more importantly that I spent a lot of time, um, studying like writing and, uh, and, uh, and communicating, you know, communicating through, through email. Um, but it's also, you know, it's sort of a trial by fire, um, or trial, trial and error experience. I, I learned a lot just from making mistakes and trying to learn from those mistakes as quickly as possible. Instead of making the same mistake five times, you try to make a mistake once and then the next time correct it. Um, and, and that's, that's, that's sort of the name of the game. You know, how quickly can you learn? How quickly can you improve? Well, I feel like you make a great point where, you know, if anybody asked you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you're like, I want to be a tap dance artist, you know, at no point in time where you're like, and I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to be a small business owner. But the truth is you are your business. Your art is your business. And this is something I like to call like artist entrepreneurship or artistpreneurship. And it's so true. And, you know, you make one point that a lot of people, when they do come across this administrative work, a lot of people dread it. A lot of people avoid it. But I am very much like you, where not only has much of the work not only become tolerable, but I I enjoy it because it's mine. It's mine and I'm working on my stuff and it's what it takes to get my stuff off the ground. And makes it kind of bittersweet. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think there, there are two ways to survive. One is to learn to love it because you're going to do a lot of it yourself. Or the second option is to, to be fancy enough that you can have someone else do it for you. Um, I, I know very few people for whom the latter is true. I'm pretty sure everyone I know, even, even the fanciest, fanciest people I'm, I'm, I'm working with like, uh, I'm working with Regina Spector right now. Who's like a, a, a pop star, you know, she's like, she's like a, she's a rock star and, and she still has to email, you know, she, she's, she and I still have to email back and forth about what time we can get together to rehearse, you know, and, uh, and no, no one is immune from, from handling their own business. Even if, even if you end up becoming wildly successful and you can get a, get a business manager and an executive director and a, and a, you know, uh, an assistant or a company manager, or all those things, you know, it still requires you to, to be buttoned up. And, and I think, or I, I should say, I think maybe if you, if you plan on working on a smaller scale, or if you plan on working solo your whole life, maybe it's possible. But if you plan on building something, if you plan on creating space for other people, if you plan on employing people, you're going to have to go down that, that rabbit hole at some point. Um, and I understand why people end up kind of hating it because it, it cuts into your time of, of being an artist. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure you've experienced this as well. Um, you know, you, you wish you had time to dance today, but you've kind of got four hours worth of emails to hustle out and, and then you have to teach or something like that. Um, 
but I, I've just in the last, I'd say half year, I've, uh, I've found a really good balance. Um, I have a, a part-time company manager who helps me kind of with the, with the email hustle and it's been game changing and it has actually allowed me to return to kind of personal practice and, uh, and, uh, choreography and all those things that kind of had to be set aside while I was setting up shop. I totally agree with you. I think that delegation is the secret key to work-life balance, but even with delegation comes now you have to learn how to manage another person. And that in itself is a whole other administrative hat and task that you have to take on as well. All right. So let's talk about gigs. You mentioned Regina Spector. You've got some upcoming performances, which include rejected, uh, Regina Spector on Broadway, the new Victory Theater in New York City, Jacob's Pill in Massachusetts, the White Bird Theater in Portland, Oregon, amongst many others. Can you speak candidly? Well, you've been speaking candidly, so, you know. Um, can you tell the ITAP Online community, let's talk about where gigs come from. How yeah. do we book work? Where do gigs come from? <laughs> um, uh, wow, what a good question. I mean, I'll, the... The trajectory of, of CT and Co. Uh, um, it it seems quite clear actually, and and I can I can describe it as this: we did our first kind of proper, uh, we did our first presentation of choreography that I would call Caleb Teicher and Company, whatever that. It's just a name, you know, and it's a pretty straightforward name. Um, uh, in 2015, as part of the American Tap Dance Foundation's Rhythm and Motion Showcase. It's a showcase of new tap dance choreography. There are something like 12 to 15 choreographers on the bill. And we did 10 minutes of choreography, which is the most amount of choreography I've ever presented, um, you know, as a chunk. Uh, it went well. The piece felt like it was worth performing, not just for one engagement, but maybe for several others. Um, and a couple things came up that summer. One was, would you like to perform this 10 minutes again at a separate American Tap Dance Foundation event? And I said, yes. The second thing was Hillary Marie Michael called me and said, hey, I would love for you to do 20 minutes at the Jersey Tap Fest. And part of me thought, well, I could present this 10 minutes of choreography or I, and then I could do a solo something or I could present another piece. But then part of me thought, well, actually, I feel like this 10 minute piece could be a 20 minute piece. So then suddenly, by that summer, we had a 20-minute piece of choreography. Um, with that video and with the, the few uh, little shout-outs and reviews that we received, I was able to convince other people that that piece was worth presenting. And then I was able to convince other people that it might be worth putting, uh, putting me on a bill with something I hadn't created yet. Still, this was us um, as a company of you know, one of 10 companies on the bill or one of 20 companies on the bill or one of five or six companies. I think in 2016, we did our, our first uh, like shared bill where it was, we were one of three companies and that felt super special because each company did 20 minutes and that, that, you know, you just, you felt like you were narrowing in on maybe having your own show. Um, as we built up more pieces, I made more pieces. We sort of cobbled them together into an hour long concert um, and, uh, the first people actually to give us, a, a our own, our own evening, um, where, uh, it was, uh, the Guggenheim, the works and process of the Guggenheim. They had come to see 
a number of shows because one of the dancers I was working with had performed at the Guggenheim and they were, they were a fan of her. They were a fan of Macy Sullivan. And so they kept coming to see my work. Um, and after seeing, I think five of my shows over the course of a year and a half, I got an email from them saying, Hey, we have this opportunity to present a company in Spain every summer. Would you like to be that company? I nearly passed out. I was, you know, so excited. Like, and, but it also meant that I was going to try to put together my own evening for the first time. And I put together three pieces, one of which is 20 minutes. The other, which, uh, the other one was 25 minutes. And the final one was about 15 minutes, which put together an hour's worth of dancing. Um, that piece uh, or that evening came to be known as our rep concert. Um, and once we had done that, and once we had felt confident in that, once we had a video of that, um, other people had heard the show had gone well. Other people um, had, were interested in giving us an opportunity to present work. And, and some of it was me emailing people that I knew as a, when I was a student or when I was a dancer with Dorrance Dance or uh, when I taught at a festival saying, hey, you know, I'd, I'd really love to present some work. Um, and some of it was them emailing me. But a lot of it, the beginning was me emailing people saying, I have work to present. Uh, could you provide the space? I will say it wasn't, they weren't fully cold calls. They were, a lot of them were organizations or, or festivals that I had been involved in as a student or as a faculty member. And I asked them to present my work because, because they, they knew me already. Um, and so it wasn't like they had to gamble on someone they had never met before. It was about gambling on someone that they had seen in a different capacity um, and then maybe give them a slightly bigger opportunity. The best examples of that um, are definitely uh, Jacob's Pillow Dance Festival, where I was a student uh, for a summer and where I had performed many times with Michelle Dorrance's company um, and Chase Brock's company and David Parker's company. And, uh, and when I said, Hey, you know, I have my own work. I, I applied to the inside out stage program. Um, and they gave me an opportunity. Um, same for, uh, the Boston tap festival. You know, um, I, I was asked to be on faculty and I said, you know, it also would be great. I would love to present uh, a kind of larger work and Julia Boynton agreed. Same for uh, Sass Selfjord, who ran the, ran the Vancouver Tap Dance Festival. Same for uh, PS21 in Chatham, New York. They agreed to present an evening of my work because they had heard that I had done this show at the Guggenheim. And they had seen me dance in Chase Brock's work at the same festival. So it's about kind of asking people who already have good experiences with you to have slightly, uh, slightly weightier good experiences with you or to, or to trust you a little bit. As you're as you're getting yourself off the ground, now gigs gigs are happening more more frequently because uh, more people have seen our work and more people talk about our work and more people are telling other people that they like our work. So things are flowing a bit more easily now. But it's still you know I still will send emails or or, or meet people at events or people will come to our show and and I'll try to follow up afterwards and say hey thanks for coming I know you have a theater in wherever Nashville and it would be great for you to to present the company and. Um, you know, gig, gigs, uh, gigs are, are part of the work as well. It's about, it's about finding the work and letting the work find you. Well, there you have it. I tap online community gigs lead to gigs. If you have an opportunity, if you have a gig presented to you, if you show up, if you give 200%, both in your artistry and your hum humanity, 
you're more likely to be receiving other potential opportunities. Gigs come from gigs. It's not online posts. You know, it's not finding random Craigslist opportunities, you know, to do a performance. It's just simple that gigs lead to gigs. So Caleb, as we prepare to wrap up, if you are game, I've got a few rapid fire questions for you. Let's do it. All right. So whatever comes to mind first, super short and sweet. Ready? Okay. All right. What is your favorite performance that you've done with the company to date? Oh my gosh. I always love doing Meet Ella, the Ella Fitzgerald piece. Ooh. And what is the craziest gig that you guys have ever done? Uh, we performed outside in, near Astor Place in New York City, and a marching band went by during the performance. <laughs> Oh, man, that's some New York City stuff if I ever heard it. (laughs) All right. What is the worst piece of advice that you have ever received from somebody about how to run your dance company? Uh, Don't pay your dancers. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, we'll definitely put that at the top. Yep. What is your definition of a choreographer? Oh, my gosh. I think it's – I try to leave – provide an opportunity for people to – to express themselves through their bodies. I don't know. I give them a step. They give me everything else. (laughs) What advice do you have for people who are considering starting their own dance company? Find people to share the experience with you. Everything's better with friends. Mm. And what advice do you have for people who are currently in it, currently running their dance company? Uh, Gosh, do the things that you're most excited about doing. Don't do things that other people, you think other people want you to do because it is too much work to do something that is not truly your passion. Ah, I love it. Caleb, thank you for taking the time today to be a part of the show. Where can the listeners follow you for more information about upcoming performances or where can they connect with you online or social media? I, like most millennials, am an Instagram-focused social media person. You can find me at Caleb Teicher on Instagram. I'm pretty bad at Facebook. I wouldn't pay attention to that. I have a MailChimp. Um, If you go to my website, calebteicher.net, there's a little form. You can join the email list, and we only pester you uh, once every month or two, just letting you know when tickets are going on sale for shows. And uh, not sure where you are in the world, but... In the next year, we are performing in Boston, California, Portland, uh, gosh, everywhere, New York City, Spain. Uh, I'll go to Korea. I'll go back to Paris. You know, just uh, just stay in touch. There will be there will be plenty of opportunities to connect in real life, which is the most meaningful part of this. And there you have it, ITAP Online Community. Go ahead and follow Caleb online. And if you have the opportunity to see him and his company perform live, please seize that moment because you will undoubtedly be energized. And if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And that way you'll receive notifications as soon as new episodes go live, including my bonus episodes, which don't get promoted via email 
or social media. So subscribe and be one of the first to know when a new episode goes live. And if you hadn't had a chance to yet, please visit itaponline.com for tap dance tutorials, tap teacher playlists, my free rhythm training for tap dancers video series, and so much more. And as always, you guys, I wish you all the best in your dance journey. And I hope that we will be shuffling together soon.